Hey everyone, Mike here with the Sys Admin School, and today I want to tell you about my top 10 mistakes that new Sys Admins make. Now, this is my top 10 list. It's going to differ from many other people's top 10 list, but I think what you'll find is a lot of overlap from other lists you may find out there. This is my top 10, and from what I've discovered from my own experience in working with other people and just things that myself I have done. So let's get right into it. Number one, thinking you know it all. This is this can be a big problem with systems administrators, especially if they are confident. And I say confident with air quotes that you can't see because confidence, there's a fine line sometimes between confidence and cocky. And trust me, I've ridden that line. So when, an, when a new sysadmin is confident or cocky, they may think they know it all. They may think because they're younger, they've been in school, and they've had experience that they know it all. Let me tell you, you don't. <laughs> Trust me. And all that's going to happen is that's going to get you in trouble. And it's going to get you in trouble in many ways. Mainly because you're going to end up doing something that doesn't work. Or you end up doing something to take down a system inadvertently. Or you do something to literally hurt your reputation. And that's not something you want to do. So realize and understand that you don't know it all and that you can always learn. No one knows it all. I, after being in the IT field for so long, still am aware that I don't know everything. I know a lot, but I don't know everything. And I take every opportunity to learn from other people who know more about a subject than I do. And it looks really bad if you constantly make mistakes. So if you're this person who has arrogance or confidence, that again, that fine line, but you constantly make mistakes, it looks really bad on you. So that's something you want to make sure you keep an eye on. Number two, not communicating. Communication is huge in IT, whether it's with your coworkers, your boss, or even your clients or customers. Communication is huge. So quick story, you know, I was working with a couple of other sysadmins at a job and one was, they were a new sysadmin and they were given the project of upgrading web servers, upgrading web servers from the current version of IIS, their Windows servers, to the new version of IIS. And what happened was the new sysadmin was so gung-ho about the project, he jumped right in, started working at it, and what he failed to do was communicate with the web developers. So he went through all the steps, he planned out the project, he said, I'm due to his boss, hey, I'm doing this project this night, and he did the upgrade. But he didn't communicate with the developers who would have probably told him, we need to test our software first. The upgrade happened, and the next day, a few internal websites did not work because of the new version of IIS. So it's very important to communicate with all people that are being involved in a project and in general communication is huge in IT and it's kind of hard for somebody because I know that IT people are generally seen as introverts I think of myself more a little more of an extrovert but a lot of IT people are introverts so it's sometimes hard for them to communicate with other people in IT but it's a very important skill that you must have and must constantly work on now if this sysadmin had communicated with the developers before doing the upgrade, he could have saved himself quite a bit of downtime on these servers. So communication, key. 
Number three, using a privileged account for day-to-day use. And I'm sure most of us have done this. I know my first IT job, I had a single account. It was my day-to-day account that I checked email with, I browsed the internet, and hey, guess what? It was a domain administrator account, which pretty much has the almost the highest privileges within a domain active, an active directory domain. This is a horrible idea from a security standpoint. And many companies still do this. And the reason is, if for whatever reason you, by accident, browse to a malicious website or inadvertently download something with that account that has all these privileges, you're in a bad place because now that account has potentially been compromised or the computer that has that account logged in has been compromised and you've, you've basically, as the word is, you've been pwned. So it's always a great idea to have two separate accounts, at least two. I personally have quite a few, but Two separate accounts is ideal. One account that has no, it's the same permissions you give your regular users. It really has no permissions. Should not even be a local administrator on your computer. That's your day-to-day account. That's the account you check email with. That's the account that you browse the internet with. That's the account you do other non-administrative tasks with. This means if something were to compromise your computer or that account, they don't have any access to anything. The account's compromised, but they can't get anywhere. They can't make changes to your domain environment. Where your second account is your elevated account. That's the account you use to log into servers. That's the account you use to make changes to your Active Directory environment or to do what's considered elevated tasks. Now to even take that a step further, ideally that should be what's considered 2FA or MFA, multi-factored. So not only is it a username and password, but there's another factor in there of authentication. Number four, assigning appropriate permissions. Now, again, this is something that a lot of us have probably done because it was easier, but giving users more access than they need or should have is a bad idea. This happens because a lot of times we're in a hurry we want to get something done and the director or the ceo or someone comes down and says hey i need access to this folder right now for this specific task and instead of trying to figure out the exact permissions that they need we check that full access box and move on again bad idea don't give users full control over a share unless they should be changing the permissions. That's really what full control does. It gives them not only read-write, but the ability to add and remove people's permissions from that folder. And your average user doesn't need that. They need read-write modify permissions, and that's it. So those are the permissions you should assign. Don't use the everyone permission. The everyone permission's there, and there may be some cases where you need it or want to use it. But try to stay away from it as much as possible because the everyone permission gives exactly what it says. Everyone permission, including people who are not a member of the domain. Ideally, if you have to give everyone in the domain permissions to something, use the authenticated users group or create your own group that contains the users that need those permissions. Number five, not testing patches. And knowing that bad patches from Microsoft, Linux, Mac, really any of those, or even other software can completely bring down your server. Knowing this, 
you need to test patches, ideally in a test environment that's similar to production. So if you need to patch an IIS server, you should have an IIS server that's meant for testing and you run your patches on that before pushing them out to production. This is hard sometimes because of resources. Some companies can't afford to have a test environment that's the same as their production environment. In this case, you need to schedule out your patches accordingly. You know, apply them to less important servers before you push them to more important servers. That way, if you have a bad patch, your downtime is minimal and your more important services aren't affected right away or aren't affected at all. Continuing on with that, we're going to go into number six, which is not patching your servers. And this is a huge, huge mistake. Typically, when servers don't get patched, you can trace this back to really either the inexperience of the systems administrator or the timidness. And I say that specifically because a lot of times when systems administrators don't apply patches to servers, it's because they've been burned before. They've applied patches to servers and it's crashed the server and taken them hours, if not days, to get that server back up and running. So not patching your servers though shouldn't even be an option. Microsoft, Linux, and Mac all release critical security updates that need to be applied in a timely fashion, especially if you have to comply with things like Sarbanes-Oxy or PCI or HIPAA. You need to have your servers patched against the most critical security vulnerabilities so that they're not open and vulnerable to attack. When you're patching servers, especially if you don't have a test environment, keep detailed documents of what patches get installed in case you need to roll them back. You know, don't just go through and do a wide sweep of patches. Go through and see what patches are needed, document the individual KBs for those patches, then apply them. That way, if you run into an issue, you can simply go back through your documentation and you can uninstall or roll back the patches that potentially caused a problem. Number seven, not keeping good backups. Now, if you wanna talk about something that will kill a business quick, try losing all of your data and not being able to recover it. Ransomware is a real thing, it's a real threat, but it can be thwarted, there's your word of the day, thwarted with good offsite backups. Backups are one of those things in IT that I've talked about, you know, when you see financial, sometimes financial people think of IT as a black hole, as a financial black hole. And backups are one of those things. They typically cost a lot of money. They typically require quite a bit of resources. And you don't see any returns on them until there's a problem. So hopefully you don't see any returns on them. But they are a necessity. They are very much a necessity. Can you imagine if your entire server farm, your entire email environment was hit with ransomware and encrypted? Now, you could potentially pay the amount asked, or you could restore from backup if you have a backup. If you don't have a backup, then you are left with either paying or losing all your data. And for some businesses, that's a killer. That is an absolute killer. So backups are certainly somewhere you should not drop the ball because it can certainly ruin a company if something were to happen and you could not restore that company data. Number eight, not monitoring logs 
and notifications. So logs and monitoring are the pulse, really, of everything going on. You need to make sure that you have proper monitoring in place to alert you when a problem comes up. And I've talked about this before in some other blogs, that having that monitoring in place potentially alerts you of a problem before your users do, before your users, your clients, or your customers do. So having proper logging in place and proper monitoring in place really gives you a little bit more of a proactive stance to solving problems before they become a problem for your users. It goes back to that whole, if we're doing our job right, no one really knows we exist. You have to also make sure that you have proper logging in place so you can troubleshoot or investigate when there's a problem. So one example here is making sure that you have certain audit logging turned on on your domain controllers. This allows you to then investigate certain permission changes, login attempts, and even when something malicious happens, you can go back through those logs and determine what might have happened. Some of this is already built into Windows, like I was just saying, some of the auditing logs and some of the built-in logs you see within Windows Event Viewer. But there are third-party softwares out there, like SolarWinds, who provide you additional logging software. Another great one is QRadar who actually takes logs from multiple different sources and consolidates them into a single interface. That makes it a lot easier for you to troubleshoot or investigate when a problem comes up because you don't have to jump from server to server, from appliance to appliance, to, deter to grab your logs. All of them are aggregated into a single interface that you can then search. Number nine, not removing unused accounts. So. We all know users come and go, as should their accounts. Their accounts should go when they do. Leaving unused accounts turned on is just bad practice. It leaves an attack surface where someone could attack that account, possibly compromise it, and then because that account's not used by anyone, it may go unnoticed for weeks, months, even years before someone actually realizes it or disables that account. Service accounts are another bad one. If you're not using a service account, be sure to decommission it and remove it from your environment. Service accounts typically have more elevated permissions than a user, so that's why it makes them even worse if they happen to be compromised when they're not being used. And lastly, number 10. I think this one kind of goes without saying, but it's a good one to mention anyway. Don't reuse passwords. And along with that, I'll add in, don't use default passwords. A lot of equipment that we get comes with a default password, and those default passwords are just a Google search away for anyone who wants to know them. So make sure that one of the first things you do when installing new equipment is to change the default password and use a brand new, unique password. Now, why do we want to use a brand new, unique password? So I've talked about this before in one of my other blog posts, but... We want to use unique passwords to combat against credential stuffing. So credential stuffing is when an account and a password, so a username and password is compromised, and then someone takes that username and password and tries that onto different services. So let's give you an example. Let's say that my LinkedIn account was compromised. My username or email and my password were compromised. So an attacker now has the email address and the password of my LinkedIn account. I don't care too much about my LinkedIn account. There's not a whole lot they can do there. 
But because the nature of humans is to reuse passwords since we can't remember good passwords, now that person is going to take my email account and try to log into my Gmail account using the same username and password. Or they may go to, say, Amazon and try to log in there with that username and password that they got from LinkedIn. That's what we call credential stuffing. Typically, it's done on a much higher scale, so they have a list of hundreds of thousands of users, and they just shove them at a service and see what sticks. This is why we don't use or reuse passwords. So how do we take care of that? We use something like a password manager, something like LastPass or 1Password, or even something that's a little bit more enterprise-grade and meant for teams. A company called Thycotic actually makes a product called Secret Server, which is an on-premise, web-based password manager program that you can log into, you can assign multiple users, and you can even access the passwords via an API. So instead of saving passwords in your scripts, you can create your script to access this service to pull passwords. They even have other things which are great, like they can actually rotate passwords, so they can actually change AD passwords and that kind of stuff. So, And they have their own logging. It's a great program. I'm not trying to sell it here. I just wanted to mention it because it's a great option for enterprise-level companies who need a password manager they can share among multiple employees. Well, there you have it. That is my top 10 list of mistakes new systems administrators make. So I'd love to hear what you think. And, you know, I'd love to hear if you have any that you think should be added to this list. You know, I know there's some sysadmin reddits out there that will absolutely have hundreds of these listed in there and people's horror stories of things that they did or things that happened when they were a new systems administrator. I'd love to hear about it. So please leave a message in the comments, or you can always hit me up on Twitter at MikeWalton1984. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I'd love to hear from you. Think about subscribing, and please check out my website, thesysadminschool.com, and check out my free ebook that I have also, 400dollarlab.com. You can get it by going to 400dollarlab.com. And it is a completely free ebook showing you how you can create your own lab for less than $400. So with that, I will talk to you guys later.